This past Thursday, we're in the office uh, Thursday afternoon, and uh, I heard this little voice and kind of noise, actually. I guess it was the voice, and, and, and I knew right away that my granddaughter was here, and uh, of course, so was her mom, uh, but that wasn't what caught my ear. And so I walked out of my office, and John Mark was here, and Elizabeth, and, and there was little Josie. And, and those of you who are grandparents or parents, right, you, you fall in love with those little kids. And, and so I, I, she was there, and so I went out, and, and Elizabeth had brought donuts and coffee for John Mark, and, and, and Josie was kind of gnawing on one. Now, she's got a few teeth so that she can, you know, she can do okay. Of course, there were no donuts or coffee for me. I just thought about that, John. I but Josie was my treat, right? And that's the sugar that I got. Um, man. And so uh, they, she obviously at home had learned some new animal noises, right? You've all been there. You know how that goes. Right, okay, what's the doggy say, and what's the cat say, and what's the cow, you know, and, and, and though a lot of times the noises all sound alike, right, um, even though it's different animal, that's okay, be we recognize the progress that those little kids are making, and, and so... Uh, we started laughing when she was coming out with a little bit of noise here or there. And, and, and as soon as we started laughing, she starts laughing. And, and she does that, and so we start going, ah, ha, 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 and, and then she's, ha, 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 you know how that goes. It just, they mimic what you do. And so it's the same thing, whether it's coughing, and we found out or I found out that you, you just start going, ah, ha, and then, and then little Josie's like, <coughs> it, it's like, what? I don't know why. Or, or so whether it's that or waving, right? Y'all know you teach your little grandkids or kids how to wave and you're hi or bye. You try not to say bye because then sometimes that's upsetting. And so it's just like, hi, you know, and then she'll put her hand up and, and all. And you know how that goes, right? It just, they mimic what we do they imitate sounds or motions or gestures or whatever it is and i'm not they obviously have some idea of what's going on but how much who knows but we just love that we're entertained by that so i'm standing out in the office and i'm like come on josie come on trying to get her take her fall down to my office because i've got all kinds of noisy things and all the rest of that in my office that that the, that we play with and so she came down and followed me she came right after me followed me right into my office but but that's what kids do of all ages right they imitate or follow mom and dad and grandpa right they follow us they do what we do well in our text this morning in the book of Mark, Mark 1 tells us that after John the Baptist uh, was put in prison, Jesus began to preach the gospel. 
And uh, the book of Mark is, is a great, a great, really down-to-earth, practical gospel teaching of Christ's life on this earth. And, and uh, so Jesus began to preach the gospel to proclaim the need to repent and believe. To repent and to believe the good news. That's the gospel. That's what he was preaching, we're told. And that's when Jesus started to build his team of followers. We would call them the Twelve, or Jesus' disciples. Later on in the book of Acts, after the church began, they were called the Apostles. That's the, the Twelve. And Jesus began to put them together. And in Mark chapter 1 and verse 16, as we read about this, all as Jesus began to preach to repent and believe the good news, we read in Mark chapter 1, verse 16, as Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee. It was so cool about three or four years ago when I got to do that, to be there in Israel. At, wow, it was just an amazing thing. And to, to walk literally right along the the shore, the beach there on the Sea of Galilee. So Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee. He saw Simon, that's Peter, and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him to fish for people what in the world well jesus knew that peter and andrew were fishermen so he's using language that they would understand their job was to catch fish that's how they made a living well he said you follow me and i will teach you how i will make you know how to fish I will send you out to fish for people. What's he talking about? I will send you out to proclaim that same good news that Jesus was, the need to repent and believe that we are sinners, that God sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for us, that he was buried, that he rose again, proving he was Jesus, that he was the son of God. And that when we believe our sin is forgiven, our life is transformed. And we become a follower of Jesus, a disciple. That was what Jesus meant when he said, I will send you out to become fishers of people. You will go out and proclaim the gospel and they will respond and they will become followers of Jesus. That's what he called them to do. And so as he did that, we're told at once, verse 18, Mark chapter 1, Peter and Andrew, at once they left their nets and followed him. And so began the journey of preparing a group of men to follow Jesus and to continue the work that he had started. He, they would continue the work. They would carry on the work that Jesus had started after Jesus went to the cross, he died, he was buried, he rose again. And then 50 days later, he ascended back to heaven to be with his father. But he had been preparing his disciples 
for that day when Jesus would go back to heaven and they would then pick up the work. They would continue the work that Jesus had started. They would go out to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to fish for people. And he was preparing this team of followers. This, that, that, that gathering of followers that those men would, would bring together, that they would be fishing for, and as people responded, that gathering of those who responded to the gospel would be called the church. And when we read in Acts chapter 2 and, and after, that's exactly what happened. And we spent the last two weeks looking at Peter and as he walked on water to Jesus and the steps that he had to take if he was going to be a follower of Jesus and actually the same for the disciples as Jesus was teaching them and training them and preparing them to do the work after Jesus left. And uh, it was important that Peter knew Jesus, who he was and what it was that he came to do Knowing Jesus was critical because then they had to trust Jesus. Peter had to trust, but he wouldn't really be able to trust Jesus until he knew him. We don't trust those typically that we don't know. It's hard to trust someone you don't know. And it's hard to follow someone that you don't trust. Right? You just look around at the political landscape here in our country. It's like, what in the world is going on? I thought we knew these people. We, what's going on? Well, we don't know, and then that makes it harder to trust. And then when we see some of the things they do, it's hard to trust. That's why it's great to know that God's in charge. Right? He's the one that put every person in office. It's his job. The authorities, the powers, the Bible says, that exist are there because God put them there. Now, we never forget that. I can't keep going down that path or we'll never get here. So the point was, today, as we've talked about knowing, the importance of knowing Jesus so that we can then trust Jesus And once we understand what it means to trust him, we can then follow him. We've talked about the know. We've talked about the trust. Today we're going to talk about what it means to follow Jesus. And it was interesting. I thought about, you know what, we need another arrow on that. And I thought, well, that does make sense. Because when you know Jesus, you're able then to trust him because you understand who he is and what he came to do and what he is still doing now. So we begin to trust him. And the more we trust him and we see that he's worthy of our trust, we are following him because we watch what he does. And the more we follow him, the more we learn about him, the more we come to know more about him. And then we're willing to trust him for greater things. And, we, and we're willing more so, you know what, I'll follow him no matter what because I know he can be trusted and the more we follow, and again, it's just this cycle, the more we come to know Jesus. So what does it look like to follow Jesus? Well, if you'd open your Bibles to Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8, we're going to start at verse 27. 
If you don't have a Bible and would like to hold the Bible in your hands underneath the chair in front of you, there should be a Bible close in hand. Page 705 is there. Uh, you know how to get there if you have your tablet or phone or whatever it may be. But Mark chapter 8 and starting at verse 27. And I, I just want to read down through the text as we, we've been here a little bit, but it's critical that we get this. So in verse 27, and we referred to this last week with Peter, Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. That's about as far north in Israel as you can get. And that's where they were heading up there, Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, who do people say I am? They replied, this is the 12 that are talking with Jesus. Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. And Jesus said to them, but what about you? Who do you say I am? And as we looked at last week, Peter, of course, seems to always be the one to speak up. And Peter answered, you are the Messiah. You are the Messiah. Now, I got to say, that was a correct answer. It was an incomplete answer. It wasn't all there was to that answering Jesus. Because if you look at the very next verse, Verse 30, Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. You ever wondered, what? Why? I, I, I thought Jesus said, hey, you guys follow me. I'll make you fishers of people. I'll send you out to fish for people. And here he says, is this, who do people, who do you say I am? And Peter goes, you're the Messiah. Jesus says, okay, don't tell anybody. It doesn't make sense because we are supposed to tell people. And he says that. Why do you think that was? Well, I think he told them that because just the fact that Peter says you're the Messiah was an incomplete answer. It wasn't all there was. You see, because when Peter said you're the Messiah, he knew that the Messiah had come to be the deliverer, to deliver the nation of Israel, to, to free them. Well, when Peter said Messiah, he was assuming that that would be Jesus would come and overturn the Roman government and, and get rid of all of the Jewish religious leaders, the scribes and hypocrites and Pharisees, right? And, 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 and move on and, and then set up his kingdom where Jesus the Messiah would rule and reign, but Jesus came to go to the cross. Jesus came to set up the kingdom that he would rule from the cross. And when Peter said Messiah, he wasn't thinking the cross. You say, well, Glenn, that's your opinion. No, it is my opinion, but it's also what I think the Bible says as we go on. Because when Jesus says, don't say anything, but then we go on to verse 31. He then began to teach them. Verse 31. That the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed, and then after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this. Jesus wanted to speak very clearly. There were no parables. There was no meaning that they had to guess or say, what do you mean by that, Jesus? No, it was real clear and plain. 
Jesus was teaching that he had to suffer many things, that he would be rejected by the the religious constituency and authority of the day, and that he would be killed, hung on the cross, and three days later he would rise again from the dead. He talked about this. He spoke plainly, and Peter took him aside. And we were here a couple weeks ago. And began to rebuke Jesus. We say, man, Peter. Do you really know who you're talking to? Do you understand what you're saying to Jesus? Because he goes on and he as he rebukes him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. You see, Peter was rebuking Jesus because he didn't think that Jesus needed to go to the cross. He didn't want him to be rejected by the religious power and authority. He didn't want the Roman emperor still to be in charge. He's like, no, Lord, that's not what you're not going to suffer. You're not going to be rejected. You're going to set up the kingdom. No, Lord, don't say that. And Jesus rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. And reading this week, the get get thee behind me, Satan, what was he saying? Well, part of that, and I hadn't thought about it like this before. Jesus is saying, Peter, You don't belong on this side of me. Get behind me. You see, followers don't lead their master. And Peter was rebuking Jesus, saying, No, Jesus, what you're saying, that's not going to be. Wait a minute. Who's in charge here? Jesus was. He's saying to Peter, Peter, you're out of line. Get back behind me. Get behind back in the position of following me because that's what you are. You're a disciple. You are a follower. I am the leader. I am the Messiah. I will be the Savior. Get behind me and follow me and don't forget that's your place. Well, then we get to verse 34. And so here we're going to see Jesus is really drawing down on the disciples to help them to understand. But he's not just talking about the 12 because then he called the crowd to him. Verse 34, Mark chapter 8. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and implied must take up their cross, and must follow me. That's what Jesus had to say. And if you want to be a follower of Jesus, those three truths must characterize your life. Three truths necessary to be a disciple, and we're going to look at those this morning And I'm going to say, I hope this isn't the first time, if you've been here for any number of years, that you've heard this this truth about what it means to be a follower of Jesus, a disciple. 
but we're going to go over it again because, folks, we are. If you know Jesus Christ in Scripture, you are a disciple. That's what you're called. We're told in the book of Acts, Luke told us he was writing that as the church was going, that the believers or, or that the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. Why? Because they were believers. They were followers. They were called that. Disciples were first called Christians. What would that mean? That would mean that a disciple knew Jesus Christ. That's, that's what's going on here. So the first truth that we must understand that must be true of you and I as we follow Jesus is you must deny yourself. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves. Now, this is an imperative. It's a command. It's not an option. It's not something we can say to Jesus as, as a disciple, as a believer, as a child of God. Um, I don't think so. I'll, I'll, I'll let that one alone. I, I don't need to d deny myself. No, it's, it's an imperative. It's a command. It is absolutely what Jesus said we must do if we are going to be a disciple. Jesus is emphasizing a seriousness and an urgency about not making your life about you. Now you may be sitting here, what? My life's not about me? Who's it about? Oh, oh, I know. My life is about my wife. No, that's not what he means either. My life is not about me. It means that God must be at the center of my life. That will require that God be at the center of my thinking. It means that the things that please God are at the center of my life. I am concerned about living my life in a way that pleases God in everything I do, not about my pleasure. We sometimes think that as believers, as part of the church, that, that our purpose in life or one of the goals in life is for us to pursue happiness and ultimate fulfillment of life on this earth as a believer, as a follower of Jesus, is that we have happiness in our home and in our families and in our children and all the rest. I am sorry, but I got to tell you, happiness is not the goal. And if you make happiness a goal, you'll never get to it like God intended. Happiness is an outcome. It's a result. When we do the things that God says we ought to do, when we deny ourselves, happiness will come. And then God is the one that makes that def definition. He defines happiness. That will happen when we follow him as an outcome of our following Jesus. Do you see the difference? It's not the goal. We must deny ourselves. It is thinking differently. It is renewing our mind. Paul says in Romans chapter 12 and verses 1 and 2, he says, I beg you, I, I, I beseech you by the, by the mercies of God that you present your bodies 
a living sacrifice to God, holy and acceptable unto him. And, and don't be conformed. Don't look like this world, which doesn't really have a lot to do with the way we dress or that kind of a thing. It comes from within. Don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed. How? Completely changed from the inside out. He says, by the renewing of your minds. How does that happen? God's truth. God's instructions. God's guide. We read about God. We get to know God. That's what this book is about. It tells us about God. It tells us about ourselves. And the more we learn of this book, the more we learn how God wants us to be. Who he is and what he has done and why we're here and how we're to live. It's not about us. Transformed by renewing our mind. It's about God's will and God's desire, not about our own desires, our self will. It's exactly how Peter was not thinking. When, when Jesus rebuked Peter, he said, he said, You do not have in mind the concerns of God, back up in verse 33 of Mark 8. He said, But merely human concerns. You're concerned about the stuff that you want. That you think about. He said you need to have the concerns of God. That's what denying yourself is all about. We hear in this day and age of professional sports. And you may not follow much if you do professional sports. But you pick the sport. Whether it's baseball or football or basketball. These men and women sign contracts for millions of dollars to play their sport. And after a certain length of time, and depending on their contract, they can get out of their contract and they become what we call a free agent. They can go anywhere they want. They can sign with another team. They can stay with their current team. They can look for more money or whatever it is. They're free agents. They can do what they want. And what we typically hear these free agents say, well, you know, I've just got to do what's best for me. And that's how many times we live our lives, too. Well, we've just got to do what's best for me. No, never. It's not about what's best for me. It's about what's best for God. That's what denying yourself. We do what God's best is for our lives. For a disciple, what is best for the cause of Christ and accomplishing of the Great Commission, that's how we ought to be thinking, not what's best for us. Now, this denying yourself is not self-denial. It's not about you, uh, for whatever reason, you want to lose weight, so you're not going to eat cheesecake, cheesesteak. I said cheesecake, didn't I? That's, that's an old joke from way back, and I'll have to leave it alone. Uh, but cheesesteak, hoagies, or ice cream every night before you go to bed. Anybody love ice cream? Uh -huh. So you all know what it does to you, especially when you eat it like at 11 o'clock or 10 o'clock at night. Just Oh, I got to have ice cream just before I go to bed. 
Well, we could say self-denial, all right, because I want to be healthy and I want to drop a few pounds, I'm not going to, that's not what we're talking about here. That is not denying yourself. Denying yourself has everything to do with being intentional to make sure that the things that matter to us matter most to God. He is at the center of our desires and of the things that we choose to do. It is not about me. It is not about you. A true disciple no longer makes himself the object of everything. Thinking that we are what matters, that we are important. Do you ever drive down the road and think like you're the only one on the road that matters? Now, I know nobody here does that. I, I got to put myself out there because I, it's like, all right, I'm preaching on this today. And I'm like, yesterday, Jane and I are coming down through the notch. And we're driving up towards Clark Summit. And there's the little gas station. We're going towards Clark Summit that sits over here. And this car I see coming out. And you know how you can almost tell what's going to happen? You're anticipating. You can just feel it. And I could see this, this car is not paying attention. They're not going to yield. They're going to come right out and, and comes right out into the turning lane right in the middle, right, that you can turn from. And, 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 and here I am coming, and, and she keeps coming. Like, I'm right there, and she's coming, and I'm like, I hit my horn. I'm like, what's going on? And I swerved over to the other lane. Fortunately, I could anticipate, but I didn't see if there was another car, but I had no choice. And I looked at the lady, and when I beeped the horn, she beeps back at me. <laughs> and I said to Jane, what's she beeping about? You know, that's when I want to get on the phone and call my police friends in Clark Summit and say, hey, I got somebody for you. <laughs> you know, and, 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 I, and I, so then we're going, I'm like, oh, why did, so I looked at Jan, I said, hon, what would Jesus have done? Because that's on my mind. And she said, I don't know but I don't think he would have done this. <laughs> Probably not. But the road isn't all about me, but see, that's what me it means to deny ourselves. It's not about us. It's about God. And fulfilling his purpose in life. And she says, boy, aren't you glad that wasn't somebody from our church? <laughs> yeah, amen. I, I hope it wasn't. <laughs> Anybody here? You wouldn't admit it. I said, I said to Jane, I said, what do you think was going in her, through her mind that she would just do that? And. Jane says, I don't know, but that's why I try to be patient and gracious. And I thought, you really said that to me? <laughs> but then she said, but I don't usually do a very good job at it. So I said, oh, okay. <laughs> we're, we're together in this. Denying yourself. 
It's not about me. Jesus also said you must take up your cross. Not only must we say no to what I want, we must say yes to what God wants. And, and I put a quote up here because I thought I can read this. And I, this was so good because it so explains what this taking up one's cross brought to the mind of Mark's readers, the sight of a condemned man who was forced to demonstrate his submission to Rome by carrying part of his cross through the city to the place of execution. Do you remember who else did that? Jesus, right? And he got some help along the way. But that's what the Romans at a crucifixion made that individual who was condemned to die to carry that cross piece, carry the cross. So to take up one's cross was to demonstrate publicly your submission or obedience to the authority against which you had previously rebelled. So when Jesus says to us, we are to take up our cross, we are to carry that cross as an indication of our submission and obedience to the one that we used to rebel against, our God. Because before we were saved, before we knew Jesus, we were in rebellion against God. The Bible says we were his enemies. And when we as believers, as followers of Jesus, take up our cross, we are acknowledging our obedience and submission to his authority in our lives. Even though at one time we were his enemies, we are now under his loving leadership and authority. That's what the idea, folks, it does not mean. Oh, you don't know how hard life has been for me. I, I have a cross to bear. I could say that about, you know, I've had, some of you know this, I've had three open heart surgeries and I could look back and say, oh, that's what God's given me is my cross to bear. Poor Glenn. No, that's not at all what that means. You know, how dare I even think that that would come close to being similar to carrying the cross, my cross, that indicates obedience and submission to Jesus. That's what it means to take up your cross a willingness to sacrifice for him. That's what Jesus did. Remember the night before he was crucified in the garden when he prayed, sweat great drops, as it were, of blood and said, Father, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus went to the cross for us. And our attitude needs to be the same as his when we take up the cross. Representing obedience and commitment to our God. 
a willingness to die if so be. Dying to our own self, certainly, and what we want for God. And then lastly, he says, and you must follow me. Well, of course, you must follow me. But think about that. A disciple must keep following Jesus. Paul said that. Follow my example, even as I follow the example of Christ. To follow means to be an imitator. A follower in the New Testament, that word is always used in a good sense. It's not used of following somebody the wrong direction. And the word follower means following a continuous, constant habit or practice. When Jesus says, follow me, he's literally saying, come after me. He's actually saying, come behind me. Do you remember what we said about Peter? When Jesus said, Peter, get behind me. Peter, get back where you belong. You can't follow me if you're not behind me. And sometimes we do, right? Get out ahead of our Jesus. We get out in front sometimes, and we don't think about it that way. Jesus says, come after me. Come behind me. The New American Standard Translation reads verse 30, 34 of Mark 8 this way. And he summoned the crowd with his disciples and said to them, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And that's it. Come after me. Get behind me. Fall in line so you can follow the lead. All that to say, we need to keep following Jesus. We need to be imitators. Ultimately, what does that mean? To be more like Jesus. Have you heard that phrase before? I'm sure you have if you've been here at Heritage for any length of time. Following Jesus means that we become more like Jesus. Now, it's interesting that if we continuing on in the book of Mark, we'd get down to chapter 10, Mark chapter 10, verses 41 to 45, and, and, and you can read them, but you would find that the disciples were arguing, requesting actually here to sit at the right and the left hand of the throne of God. They, they, wanted, they wanted to be up there. They wanted position of authority. They wanted to be important. And what did Jesus say to them? You want to be great? Become a servant. You want to be first? Become a slave. A slave to God. To willingly put yourself under his authority and follow him. It's not about position. It's not about power. It's not about popularity. It's not about all of that stuff. It's about serving. And that's the last thing that I'm sure the disciples and the crowd that was listening expected to hear was the key to greatness. Because they are arguing who is going to be at the right and the left hand of the throne of God. Even a couple of chapters before that, they are arguing about who was the greatest. And, they, and when they asked them, the disciples, the Bible says, they didn't want to really say because what they've been talking about, they, they didn't want to admit. Jesus said it's about serving. Now, not in the text or here in Mark, but certainly part of the story of what it means to follow Jesus is to love one another. 
fact, the last week that Jesus was alive, in fact, at the Last Supper, the night before Jesus went to the cross, he told his disciples, and we read this in John chapter 13 and verses 34 and 35, he said, by this will all men know that you are my disciples. How? If you love one another. A distinguishing mark of a follower of Jesus, of a disciple. He said, this is how everybody around you will know that you are my disciple, that you are a follower of Jesus. How? That you love one another. We're talking about love for each other, those of us who are brothers and sisters in Christ, those of us who know Jesus, those of us who believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's who we're to love, and sometimes they're harder to love. You might say, well, doesn't that mean, what about people who need Jesus who don't know Jesus? What about people without Jesus? We need to love them too, but that's not what Jesus told the disciples. He said, this is how people around you will know that you're a follower of Jesus by the way you love one another, by the way you treat one another, by the way you respond to one another, by the way you love one another. Wow, that says so much. And we ought to be known as those of us who know Jesus here at this place that we call Heritage Baptist Church. That, that we would be known, wow, those people are amazing. Do you know how much they love each other? Something must be real about what they're talking about. That message of Jesus and, and, and the fact that he died on the cross in our place to forgive our sins, that must be real because it's changed their lives. Look, you can see the love they have for one another. I got to say, we had... It was last week, right, that, that we had the homeless guy and his wife. Did, you may not have even known that. We had a homeless gentleman and his wife come in, told us that they'd spent the night in their car, we think, in the parking lot. And I can't tell you, I couldn't have been prouder about the way our people responded. People invited them to the First Light ABF, right, Rich? Whatever. D Don, Dan, Donna, Dan, right? Yeah. Joe, you, yeah. Yep. Invited him in. And then afterwards, one of our guys took him down to get some gas in his car and some food. I mean, that might have been Jesus. Not literally, you understand what I'm saying? That's love for somebody who probably, from what we could tell, did not know the Lord, but the way we love one another. Sometimes it's harder to love the people you know than the ones you don't know. Like family. Huh? Right, brothers and sisters? Anybody have any sibling rivalry going on? More like Jesus, serving, that's the key to greatness. Because 
we've told Jesus said to his disciples, listen, the son of man. It's interesting. You go through the book of Mark. He didn't say about himself. He didn't call himself the Messiah. Jesus called himself the son of man, not the Messiah, because he didn't want people to misunderstand. He was not the one that came to deliver them from the Roman Empire and all of the hypocritical religious leaders of the day. He called himself the son of man, human Jesus, the son of God, who came to die. And he said, serve. He came not to be served. If there's anyone who deserved to be served, it would be Jesus. But he didn't come to be served, but he came to serve and give his life ultimately for us. And he adds the love in John chapter 13. So what do we do with all this? What are you going to do with all? You're going to walk out and said, oh, man. Glenn, <laughs> Glenn really does have an anger problem, doesn't he? Tell us about that lady. What are you going to do with this great truth of what it means to be a disciple, of what it looks like to follow Jesus? Deny yourself. Say no to what you want. Take up your cross. Say yes to what God wants and keep following. Don't stop. Don't get sidetracked. Keep following. Stay behind because you can't follow somebody when you're in front of them. Keep following and be like Jesus. Listen, folks, there's not a one of us here today that can't say we don't know what it means to look like Jesus, to be like Jesus. What would Jesus do? When I asked Jane, well, he wouldn't have done this. Because we must keep that intentionally in our hearts and minds that it's not about me. And until we put the Lord at the center of our lives we're going to be there and we're going to get ticked off when somebody infringes on the right that we think we have on the road or wherever else. These are all commands. So I have to ask you, where in your life do you need to say no to what you want? Where in your life do you need to say no? to what you want. Can you think of anything? How about this? Where in your life do you need to say yes to what God wants? Well, God understands. I mean, uh, th that's not, it's not easy. It's a little inconvenient. Oh, I'm sure it was real convenient for Jesus to go to the cross, right? Where in your life do you need to say yes to what God wants? And lastly, what in your life demonstrates that you are following Jesus? What in your life right now, today, demonstrates, speaks loudly for everybody to see and hear that you are a follower of Jesus? What might that be? And 
what do you need to change in light of those questions? Deny yourself. Take up your cross. And keep following Jesus. That's what it looks like to be a disciple, to be a follower of Jesus. Oh, God. It's hard. And I messed up yesterday because I did not respond like Jesus. God help us as we go through life and so easily make it about ourselves. So easily forget that it's to be about you. And that these irritations and accidents and circumstances that we don't like are all part of our lives to make us more like Jesus. You give us opportunities every day to be more like Jesus. Oh, God, help us by the way we live to demonstrate clearly that we are followers of Jesus. For it's in his name I pray. Amen.